Good evening and welcome everyone tonight. So thankful you've chosen to be here with us. If you have your Bible, be turning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And we'll be taking our lesson from that chapter tonight. If you're familiar with the writing of the Apostle Paul, you know that somewhere near the beginning of his letters, usually he does something. He thanks God for the people or at least something about the people. Let's look at a few passages. Philippians chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. As we think about that, Paul is giving thanks for the Philippians. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. He gives thanks for the Colossians because of their love that they have for God and the love that they have for uh, the saints, the, the people. They're looking outward, if you will, but also for their faith that they have in Christ Jesus. Here's another one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Again, he's thanking God for something about the Thessalonican Christians, the, the church at Thessalonica. And, and notice there are some things that he mentions there in verse number 3. In regard to that, here's another one, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Notice we're right here at the beginning of each of these books. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. You remember that the Bible teaches us, both in the Old Testament and the New, that our primary duty is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so Paul says that about the church, the, the Christians at Thessalonica. And he says, I thank God for you because of that. And so as we look at all of these, we see that it's quite common for the Apostle Paul to thank God for the people or something about the people. But let's go back to where we said that we would start tonight in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Look at verse number 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, and here is Paul's giving of thanks in regard to the Corinthians, and this is what he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Now, he didn't mention the grace of God in the others. That doesn't mean that the grace of God had not come to the, to the Thessalonians or uh, the Philippians or the Colossians. It doesn't mean anything like that. But one thing that we see when it comes to the church at Corinth is that Paul mentions the grace of God. Now, if you have taken time to read through, or you've studied through the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you'll know that the church at Corinth was a troubled church. You know that they had different... Is this one on? I think this one, my, this one went off for some reason. Here, it's, it's, oh, it's still on green. But it's a troubled church. 
And so when we, when we look through the book of 1 Corinthians, we see the different problems that the Apostle Paul mentions and, and seeks to correct. But that does not reflect upon the grace of God. The grace of God had come to the church at Corinth. And so that's what we want to spend some time dealing with tonight. <clears throat> Let's begin tonight by understanding, and we certainly should do this, but the grace of God, we have access to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the book of John, chapter 1, at verse number 17, Paul, or rather John writes and says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that God had not had grace in the Old Testament, but the saving grace that you and I have a part of was not introduced until Jesus came to this earth and he died for mankind. And so grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We see Paul expanding upon that just a little bit in the book of Romans chapter 3 at verse number 24. Paul writes there, he said, "...and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus." And so the grace and the truth that came through uh, Jesus Christ came through his death that purchased our redemption, that made it possible for us to be saved. Same was true with the church at Corinth. That grace had come through Jesus Christ. But not only that, it's the gospel through which we learn the steps and requirements of reaching that grace, isn't it? And we would not know about it without that. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, at verse 24, the Bible says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. Now that's the Apostle Paul talking. But notice what he says. What was his ministry? What was it that he was interested in accomplishing and doing? To testify of something, that is to make known something, to let the people know that he was a witness of something, to testify of the gospel, watch this, of the grace of God. The good news of the grace of God. Paul went about preaching the gospel, the good news. But the good news is about the grace of God. You could say, well, the good news is that Jesus died. Yes, but what did we just say? The grace that came down from God through Jesus is his life, death, burial, resurrection for our salvation. And so Paul says that I am preaching that gospel, the gospel of grace. In the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verse number 6, he's amazed at the church or many of the folks at, uh, in Galatia. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Now, there's that same grace being mentioned. talks about them being called in the grace of Christ. But what is Paul astonished about? Finish the sentence that he uses there in Galatians chapter 1 at verse 6. That you are turning to a different gospel. It's in that passage that he implies that the gospel that he preached was indeed the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. 
And so tonight, as we think about it, it's through the gospel that we learn the steps and requirements of reaching the grace of God. I can't know how to contact the grace of God if I do not know His New Testament. I can't know that. And I want to know how to have the grace of God. God didn't just uh, uh, fling it out and say, you know, it covers everybody. He said, it's in Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that, not necessarily tonight. But it's in Jesus Christ, and we learn about accessing that grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only that... I want us to think about tonight that we can read about the coming of the grace of God to Corinth in the book of Acts chapter 18. And so if you have your Bible, we'll spend just a minute or two there back in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18 at verse number 1, Luke writes these words for us. He says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, just to understand that Paul is in that city that we're talking about, that the letter of 1 Corinthians is written to, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. He's on one of his missionary journeys, going from place to place, taking the gospel, the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ, and sharing it with people. And now we find him in Acts chapter 18 at verse number 1 on this particular missionary journey, Luke tells us that he goes to Corinth. Paul, as you know, would stay with Aquila and Priscilla. Those two names ought to be familiar to Christians, a husband and a wife team. They had recently come to Corinth from Rome. They were of the same occupation as Paul, and so the Bible tells us that Paul stays with them because of the occupation uh, that that they share. Uh, We find that, of course, in the book of Acts chapter 18, verses 2 and 3. But look at verse number 4, if you have your Bible open there, in Acts, or rather, yes, Acts chapter 18. In verse number 4, we'll just sum it up by saying the Apostle Paul begins to preach and to teach in Corinth. And notice that he begins to preach and to teach with the Jews. That was his custom. That was what God had intended for him to do. He would write about that in the book of Romans chapter number 1. He said the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, I went to the Jews, or Luke at least informs us, he went to the Jews when he first arrived in Corinth. But look at verse number 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, they come to Corinth too. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. That's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? The Messiah was the Jesus, the Jesus whom they crucified. Now remember, we've already established tonight very briefly that The grace of God is given to us through Jesus Christ. What is the Apostle Paul talking to the Jews at Corinth about? Christ Jesus, that He is the Messiah. He is the one. Jesus is the one from God. He is the one promised back even by Moses. He is the one that's mentioned back all the way in Genesis chapter number 3 who would be the offspring of the woman, who would crush the head of Satan, if you will. 
All of these things relate to Jesus Christ. But Paul is talking to the Jews about Jesus Christ. He could not talk to the Jews about Christ being the Messiah without having talked about whether he mentioned the word or not, the grace of God that could come to them through him. The salvation that was to be found in him. And so when Silas and Timothy get there, that's exactly what Paul is doing. However, if you're continuing there in the book of Acts, chapter 18, the Jews reject Paul's teaching. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to listen to the fact that this Jesus who grew up in Nazareth, who did the miraculous things, who was put to death at the hands of the Jewish people, they didn't want to listen to Paul and him saying that this Jesus was the Christ. And so the Jews reject him. And what does Paul do? Verses 6 and 7, after the Jews reject him, shakes the dust off and says, from now on I'm going to the Gentiles. He's not leaving town. He's not looking for another city. He went to the Gentiles in the city of Corinth. And we know because we find out later, uh, quite a bit later in time, uh, that Paul leaves the city. And so when we, when we look, he goes to the Gentiles. Not only that, but think about what happens in verse number 8. The Bible says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, here's a Jew, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And watch this last part of this verse, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. When Paul told them something, these people heard him. What was Paul discussing with the Jews? I suggest to you he's discussing the same thing with the Jews, of which Crispus was one, being the ruler of the synagogue. He spoke the same thing to the Jews that he did to the Gentiles. Just like when Philip went down to Samaria and preached unto them Jesus. And when Philip went down to Samaria and preached to them Jesus, what did the people want to do? They wanted to be baptized. Even a man by the name of Simon the sorcerer. What was Paul preaching? Jesus, but he also preached that they needed to believe and be baptized. Baptized for the remission of their sins. They needed the grace of God. They were accessing the grace of God through Christ Jesus. And so we have the beginning then of the church, the called out, God's people in the city of Corinth. We have the believers who are there, one of which is Crispus, a Jew, but evidently many other Gentiles as well. But not only that, look at verse number 11. Just jump on down there real quick. Paul stayed there in Corinth a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. Eighteen months Paul was there, talking about Christ, explaining about the grace of God that comes through him. And so if we want to read about the grace of God that 
Paul mentions in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, of which he was thankful that it came to the Corinthians, we go back to the book of Acts chapter 18. And we see the coming of that grace to these people. But now, understand that the grace of God was affirmed through the gifts that they had been given. The gifts that they had received. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. That in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now one thing before we move forward, I wasn't just imagining that Paul was preaching Jesus to them. Notice right there in about the middle of this that the testimony about Christ was confirmed among them. Indeed, Paul was telling them about the Christ, but what differentiated Paul and his message from any other Yehu that would come through there teaching them some kind of new thing, something that they had never heard before. There was something that would distinguish Paul and God's people, and it was the gifts that were given. Notice in verse number 7, Paul writes about that they were not lacking in any gift. If you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll know especially in chapters 12, 13, and 14, three chapters, Paul talks about, discusses the spiritual gifts that the, children, that the church at Corinth had. And one of the reasons, the big reason that he was discussing that in chapters 12, 13, and 14 is because there were some at Corinth who were fussing and griping and arguing because one had received one gift and another had received a different gift and one thought the other got a better gift than he got. And so Paul discusses that in 12, 13, and 14. But we'll save that until we have another sermon on that particular thing. I want us to understand tonight that Paul talks about these gifts. Think about what he says here. Go back, if you will, to verse number 5. Verse number 7 establishes the gift that we might miss if we were just reading through verse number 5. Two things are mentioned there in verse number 5. Number one, he says, they were enriched in all speech and all knowledge. Does that mean that they were all orators? That they could, you know, they could stand in front of a group that, and, and man, they had a silver tongue and they were just able to awe an audience? Is that what he's talking about, them being... Or, or they had the gift of gab. They could walk up with somebody and begin a conversation, you know, and, and act like they'd known them all. Is that what he's talking about? No. As a matter of fact, the speech and the knowledge are the gifts, at least in part, representative of all of the gifts, the several different gifts that were given to the church at Corinth. 
When we think about the idea, the concept of the knowledge, the same word is used in chapters 12 and 13. The same concept is discussed in 12 and 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, at verse 28, yep, let me go the right direction here. There we go. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. The word that's used in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's the same word that's used in reference to these spiritual gifts, translated not speech in uh, verse chapter 12, translated simply utterance. Uh, chapter 13, verse number 8, Love never ends, as for prophecies they shall pass away, as for tongues they shall cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. The utterance, the speech, was the speaking in tongues, if you will. Not gibberish, not somebody standing up, saying things that couldn't be understood by anybody, but the ability to speak in a language that they had never studied before. Be like Dax. I don't know, he's smart. Dax may be able to speak Russian and Chinese and all that. Can you? Good. <laughs> if you were endowed with the spirit of tongues, you could go... And you could preach to the Russians without a translator, having never studied it. You could preach to the Chinese, having never studied Chinese. That was the speaking in tongues that was done. Each man heard in his own language, Acts chapter 2. And so some there in Corinth had been given the ability to do that. It's discussed in detail in 12, 13, and 14. They also had the ability to have knowledge. Uh, how much of the New Testament <clears throat> did they have? Well, they didn't get part of it until Paul wrote it to them, did they? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And so they had to have some way of knowing what God wanted for them. And so he supernaturally endowed some with that knowledge to be able to recall and to know what God required. You see, we can go and we can look at a book, a chapter, and a verse and find what God requires. They didn't have a book, a chapter, and a verse because, number one, they didn't even have the book yet. And so the chapter and the verse was not there. But they could go to brother so-and-so over here who had been gifted, spiritually gifted, by God through the Holy Spirit, and they could say, what did God say about? And he could tell them. Paul says there in chapter number one that they had received, they had been enriched in all speech and all knowledge. But to my point that I want to make tonight, why? Why? Were they given these and other gifts? 
supernatural gifts. Why were they given that? The gifts were for the confirmation that they, what they had heard about Jesus was the truth. Do you remember Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 20? These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They'll speak in new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, talking about the apostles, while the Lord worked with them, now watch this, and confirmed the message by the accompanying signs. I asked the question a little bit earlier in this lesson, how did the Corinthians know that what Paul said about God and His grace, how did they know it was true? He wasn't just some fellow who had concocted some story that was quite sensational. Paul was able to prove it through the miracles that he was able to perform. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, just as another backup of what is said in the book of Mark, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and, uh, or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect the great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gifts of the Holy Spirit attribute, or distributed according to His will. Those Old Testament things, God's people in the Old Testament, they were to stand by them. It was reliable. But he says, what's been revealed to us, what's been revealed to us, the gospel of the grace of God, is much more reliable, not taking away from the old, because it has been attested by what God himself has done. By the signs that God did, what did he do? When his son was crucified, he raised him from the dead. By the miracles, by the wonders that these men who went from place to place were able to perform through the working of the Holy Spirit. God said it was for the confirmation. Now later in the book of 1 Corinthians, he makes it clear there would come a time when they would not need the signs and the wonders and the miracles. Once it had been confirmed, written down, attested by witnesses that it was true, we have this book. So we don't have people walking around today performing miraculous things because we have everything that we need. That's, again, a different sermon. But I want you to notice back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 6 again. In the midst and right in the middle, verse 5, remember, he mentioned the speech and the knowledge. In verse 7, he mentions the gifts, ties, uh, ties the gifts to the speech and the tongues. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed 
among you. Those miraculous gifts, those things that, again, are discussed later in the book, they were confirmation. These people could believe that in Corinth that Paul was telling the truth because he could back it up with all of these things. But last of all tonight, I want us to talk for just a minute about this. The grace that was first given to the Corinthians was still with them. Remember, this is a troubled church to which Paul is writing. And he prays about, gives thanks for the grace of God that had been given to them. That grace was still with them. You know why? Because God's grace includes His willingness to be patient with His fallible followers. His willingness to be patient is a part of the grace that He has for us. Romans chapter 2 at verse number 4 Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Is that just for a sinner who's never obeyed the gospel? No, Paul's writing to Christians. 2 Peter chapter 3 at verse number 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That forbearance of God, His grace. Revelation chapter 2 verse 21 John writes about the church at Thyatira. The church at Thyatira had some problems. But I just want to focus on verse 21 for right now, where the Lord, speaking to John, said this, I gave her time to repent. But she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. You see, the grace of God is also there for His fallible thought. Those of us who are Christians who make mistakes. If you're with us on Wednesday night, you know that uh, this past Wednesday night we at least mentioned it. You know, back in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 1, John says, I'm writing these things to you so you don't sin, but if you do, but if you do, I'm sort of paraphrasing it just a little bit, But if you do, just remember, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus. The same one who died for us is there to argue our case before God. God's grace was still with the church at Corinth. Man, it had a lot of problems. They were doing a lot of bad things. But God's grace was still with them in Corinth. The very writing of this letter teaching them what they needed to do to correct themselves is evidence of God's continuing grace to them. God didn't love them and want them to be saved. He never would have allowed the Apostle Paul to write him a letter addressing the sins that they had among themselves. Add to that this, 
the fact that they were still able to perform the various miraculous gifts affirms the grace of God was still among them. They weren't arguing about the gifts because they couldn't do them anymore. Remember 12, 13, and 14? One got one, another got something different, and one didn't like it. Doesn't say anything about them not being able to use them. The grace of God is evidence that it was still with them because they were still able to use the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul goes on, he said, Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What a paragraph. These people may have become unfaithful, but God was still faithful to them. God was still holding out hope for them. God was still giving them time and opportunity to make their life right. And how long would He do that? How long was He willing to do that? He will sustain you to the end. Folks, tonight God is continuing to extend His grace to Christians. Even Christians who sin by giving them time and knowledge and opportunity to get our lives corrected when we mess up. See, the grace of God is not just at the beginning of our salvation. The grace of God that came to Corinth carried through with them for the rest of their life. Now that doesn't mean that they couldn't sin so as to be lost. They had a, they had a part to play. You remember, uh, they receive a letter teaching them how to get things straightened out. Stop sinning. But God loved them enough to give them that letter, the knowledge, to give them some time and opportunity. I believe when we turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, we see some evidence that it worked, even among some of the worst of them. It worked. There may be something in your life tonight, those who are Christians, that needs to be corrected. Don't presume upon the grace of God that He will give you an unlimited amount of time. One day He will call time on even individuals. Their life may end. Something might happen to them. Don't presume upon the grace of God by spurning the opportunities that He gives us. You know, I wonder how many people who knew that they needed to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, stayed in their little aisle behind their pew, saying, I'll wait till next time. I'll wait until later. 
How many have ever heard the phrase, one of these days, and you know what comes behind that. One of these days, I'm going to get my life straightened out. Don't spurn the opportunities. Why? Well, we have the knowledge of what God expects and wants from us. Gave us that much, we're not left to guess. We know how to live. And why would we allow that to go back to God unused? The grace of God came to the church, Corinth. Paul, right near the very beginning of his letter, thanked God for that grace coming to that church. Grace of God is still available today if you're not a Christian. Christ died for you. He is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. It's through Him that we have redemption through His blood. And you need to meet that blood in baptism, in His death, being buried with Him to have your sins washed away. Maybe tonight that like many of the Corinthians, there were things that were wrong in their lives, and it may be true in ours. But God's given us this time tonight, this opportunity tonight, the knowledge that you have of God's will tonight, but He hasn't promised us another time or another opportunity. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, why don't you do it right now?